Hi and welcome. My name is Brendan Kelly and I'm joined in the studio today by Perry Martin. Welcome, Perry. Welcome, Brendan, and welcome, everybody. Today's topic of conversation is all about um, pretty much how you can set yourself up for life starting from an idea. And what we want to talk about is the sort of idea that will make a difference. Now, given that we have a, a business conversation happening here, it's probably, Perry and I want to explore the idea of what is the ideal business. If, so if you're going to get into business, if you're going to create wealth for yourself, um, what sort of business might be the best one to get into? Because there's a choice available to you as starting out. Well, there's a choice available to you anytime in your business as to which direction your business goes. But, but starting out, there is a specific, how do I want to manage the rest of my life? How do I want to manage the activity of the time that's available to me to produce the greatest outcome for me financially for the life I want to live. And different business ideas, different business models have different requirements. They have different requirements on your time, different requirements on your energy, different requirements on your funding. And what we want to do today is explore, I guess, the idea of the ideal business model. How is it that you want to approach your thinking such that you can create a model that works specifically for you, yields the outcome that you want, but satisfies a certain amount of criteria such that you A, enjoy it along the way, but it's with a certain amount of ease, but it yields you the maximum possible outcome. So there's a couple of base criteria we're going to, that, that are a broad understanding of getting this thing started as a, as a way of thinking. And then we're going to delve into some of the more specific things and, and then Perry and I will explore those as, as the day goes on or as the conversation goes on. All right, so the model kind of works like this and, and you try on thinking of this nature and solving this problem just as an idea. Again, there is no problem in business that hasn't already been solved by somebody else. So don't think of it as a problem by way of, oh, I can't get past my problem because there is a solution already out there. Try on the idea again that there is a solution already out there and because it's already out there, all you need to do is find it. You don't have to know what it is right now. All you need to do is find it. And that, that resolves the anxiety of actually having the problem or not knowing what the solution is. Just go and find it and try on different ideas as you go or different solutions as you go and one will, one will appear and work for you. Anyway, the problem I want you to take on right now is what is the ideal business for me that's going to yield the greatest amount of outcome? And the thinking that's attached to that is something like this. You want the most amount of money from your time based on the least amount of time that you put in, based on the least amount of effort in order for you to put in to deliver that outcome with the least amount of risk. So again, most amount of dollars, least amount of time, lowest amount of effort, least amount of risk. And if you can model something of that nature, then you've setting yourself up in the right frame for a massive outcome for yourself, for your life. All right, but then there's some additional items. You want uh, a fairly sizable barrier to entry. Now, what's that? A barrier to entry is where you can create something. It's fairly unique to you. Um, and it's hard for people to duplicate. What can you do that is hard for others to duplicate? Could be a product, could be a service, could be you, could be something. But what can you do for, for it's difficult for others to duplicate? And if it's difficult for others to, to duplicate without expense or a lot of time, 
then what that allows you to do is have a, a, a captive audience. You have market presence before others can come in and take your market or take market share. So what's something you can do that, that has a reasonably high barrier to entry for others? There's also two businesses. You can go for a volume business or a niche business. Our encouragement would be a niche business. Why? If you're going for a volume business, it requires massive manufacturing or massive supply, lots of market channels to market, etc. But if you go for a niche business, then the idea is that um, it's a more expensive product. You'd want a niche business in demand, not something that you think is important that other people go, yeah, yeah, nice to have, don't need it, or don't need it for that price. So you need an, again, the idea would be a niche business. Um, you want something that, again, you're skilled in. You want something that is not an exchange of your time for money. So it's not something that you have to be present for that with only with your presence is money going to be earned. Because if that's the case, then it's not a scalable business. It's not something you can build up. So again, what, what might be the, the thing that you are good at that is not repeatable easily by other people that you can offer, but it doesn't depend on your time for delivery. Now there are services and products. So you can do a service that in a service model, you can do that in a product based model. What is it that has a calling for you? Because the final part of this introduction is the idea. It must resonate with you. It must give you joy. It must give you a sense of satisfaction, accomplishment, a sense of pleasure to be able to deliver. Because if you're looking to take on the ideal product, but you have no affinity with it, it will crash and burn or be hard and arduous, or just, you just, you're just not going to succeed in it as well as you otherwise might if you found something that you enjoyed along the way. So that sets up the conversation. Perry, of what we've mentioned so far, I guess the first question, what do you think is the most important part in order for somebody to consider when taking on a business or evolving a small business into a, maybe a different direction or, or an expansion? I'm not going to answer that question. Not yet anyway. <laughs> you, know, you know how I love that, really. Yeah. I, I throw a question your way. I'm looking for a response and you guys say, no, I'm not telling. Okay. I'll go somewhere else first and I'll answer that question. <laughs> this, is, this is such an important topic for, for good reason. And I just want to bring, say, a couple of my twists to what you've just communicated. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Well, one of the reasons that for me that this is a very important topic is that I often... Uh, have clients uh, come to me and ask me for help in producing a better lifestyle, more money, more time from the from their business model. And often when I look at their business models, I realize that no matter what they do, that business can never give them the profit and can never give them the lifestyle they want because not all business models are equal in their ability to deliver an ideal outcome, which you've talked to, of course. So this is a really important topic because when you start out, you want to make sure your business model is right from the start. So, and just case in point here, just to set this up, if, if someone comes to me as an example and they are a personal trainer, now there are uh, schools all around Australia at the moment pumping out personal trainers. And if, if, if you look at a personal training model, coming back to what Brendan said, typically unless it's set up effectively, 
that that personal training model will have you if you want to be a personal trainer in business trading time for money and we look at that and we start to look at well, what is the problem with that so i'm just sort of digging deeper into the problem here for a second brendan um and i want you just to grab this as a as a, as a picture when you listen so you, you imagine personal trainer uh, wants to increase his return and when he first starts out in business he's got three clients so he wants to get x way more clients so what happens is he'll start to improve his marketing or she'll start to improve her marketing and all of a sudden she now has uh, six clients a day now if you start to look at that that's uh you know let's say they're working five days a week that's 30 clients that they're working with and if they take on three or four more clients suddenly they're at what we call capacity meaning that they can't earn any more than what say that that 33 hours of 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 time traded a week can produce for them but there's another problem here if you are working 33 hours a week with clients for sure you're also doing five hours of marketing three hours of bookkeeping upkeeping websites writing e-zines and so on and so on and so on so all of a sudden you see that you have a business that as you're working 50 hours a week, but you can only bill 33 hours out to clients. There's nothing you can do now. There's nowhere to move while you stay in that mindset of, of that model. So the thing that we start to look for, as Brendan mentioned before, is scale. So we'll probably go in and start to explore some of those things in a second. And scale means, as an example, that there's no limitation to the amount of products sold so as you can see with that personal uh, trainer once they reach their 33 hours uh, 33 billable hours more clients just mean they can't take them on so then they go to mini me models mini me models that they might start to develop or, or bring on other personal trainers the problem with that though and we just talked about this before the more personal trainers that you bring on to serve the clients that you bring into the business the more people you have to manage and People management is always more of a hassle than selling lots of product, as an example. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yes, it is. Uh, okay, so here's a flag around that. People are people. People are complex. Um, people aren't easy necessarily, and they always have their own baggage, their own stories, and their own agendas, and, and their own needs to satisfy. And so as much as Perry, you and I both, we adore people. We see a mass amount of potential, joy, delight, uh, a, a mass amount of opportunity for individuals. And we, we spend our lives supporting them to be more of who they want to be and who they possibly can be. And then there are staff who you want to uh, uh, manage and, and, and give opportunities to. But as from the perspective of running a business, um, there's the mechanics of running the business. There's the people side of running the business. And the more staff you have, the more the pressure is, the contradiction sometimes, the more compromise required, the more management required. So, so and a, a brilliant scalable business has equally the minimal amount of staff. What you want out of your business is the smoothest possible operation for the most efficient outcome that you can gather. And, and, and with respect to the human race, 
not having many people in the business may be in fact that solution. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's a rule. Like, <laughs> like you, I love people. We work with people all the time. My whole, my whole business is involved around people. However, it is still a rule. Regardless, I've worked with thousands and thousands of business owners. I can tell you right now, it's just a rule. Right? It doesn't even matter if it, I have a good team. Okay? I've got a good team. And I know heaps of uh, business owners that I work with, we, we help them develop good teams. But regardless, if you've got a good team, the more people on that team, the more stress and hassles you will have. It's a fact that people will cause you more hassles than software, right? So as an example, if you can get software to do something and a person to do something, choose to get the software. Software doesn't have an agenda. Software doesn't have a husband or wife that's going through a hard time or a, or a some that's got um, uh, some health problems. Uh, you know, <laughs> human beings are human beings. So I just believe it's true. A bottom line rule, the less people that you have on your team, uh, the easier your business is to run. And we are talking about what are easy business models. Correct. And, and by the way, it's not even a rude thing, right? You think about your family. I think about my family. I've got a great family. However, within the family dynamic, there's what we call I, we. So every member of my family has, well, I want this. And I also want this for us. Right. And that's a conflict they experience within themselves. Uh, everyone watching this would be used to that. So same thing with staff. Staff have their agendas, what they want. They also have a desire to perform well for the business, but they still have self-orientated agendas. Um, and, you know, they're not even big things sometimes. As like I said before, staff have family problems. Those family problems will take them sideways. So software doesn't get emotionally upset when things are going on in their life. They don't, the software doesn't downgrade its performance when uh, it's not getting a lot of sleep, as an example. So when you're building your business model then, when you're building the ideal business for you, think about the size of the team that you need to be taking on and playing with. The least amount of people is a more efficient business. So try that on. How, how does your product get manufactured with minimal heads how does your service get supported with minimal heads um, again and, and if you look at the broader business model um, from larger organizations middle-sized organizations one of the most massive expenses is the labor cost and if you want to run an efficient business you want to keep costs low while maximizing profits and revenue reducing headcount is often one of the most efficient ways to reduce expenses in a business and improve margins so when you're thinking about your team, think about also how much you're going to pay them. And again, don't skimp on dollars for an individual as a way of creating revenue such that you get a lower caliber person necessarily because that comes with its own drama. What you want is the right person at the right salary for the right outcome um, and, and caliber and skill level that you're, you're looking, uh, you're looking to satisfy. Um, but if we, balance the equation of number of heads, skill, picture your ideal team and work to that as a model. Yeah, if I had, a, a case in point, me personally, if, you, if I had a business model that uh, looked like it could produce really good income, uh, it could have me working less, but it meant that I had to employ uh, a big team, I personally wouldn't do it just because of that. So then, <clears throat> all right, so we've talked about the human element. 
Uh, we've talked about, um, again, most amount of money. Well, talk, now let's talk a little bit about um, the sort of business you might want to take on, Perry. You're taking, you're saying software or technology over human. You're talking, um, are we talking product over service? We, 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 talk, we touched on service by way of um, uh, needs to be scalable. Yeah. Uh, and not me related and not necessarily the mini me model either because there are limitations with that. Um, if people want to get into service, what might be an ideal service model? I think, again, service models can work. And well, I'll share a service model that I ran for years that was highly effective. So I, I, I wouldn't personally rule out service models completely if, if they're done properly and certain marketplaces wouldn't allow for that i don't think okay so i'll explain so many years ago i worked doing what i do now um, but only working with high net worth individuals and i worked three and a half days a week for maximum and at that stage, my hourly rate was around $350 an hour with almost no overheads. I think my running expenses at that time were around three or four, 500 bucks a week. So you can see that with an hour and a half work, I covered that. Um, and so in, in that experience, I earned really good money just charging an hourly rate but my overheads were so low and the market place would bear what i charged so that was a very very simple model and i also ran a group training which meant that there was uh, one to the many type training as in that mix so i'm sure Brendan, you can see why that would be a very good business model if you can achieve that in a marketplace. And you could, you could do that in a niche, by the way, which will, will probably bring us to niches. So that's, that, to me, is an effective service model. So you, you picked clients that could afford a price that you wanted to charge for a skill that you developed and could train others to duplicate as a mini-me model, but had very few mini-me's based on that rate. I, at that stage, I didn't have any mini-me's. It was just me, but at $350 an hour, I mean, this is years ago. Like, I think this was like 12, 14 years ago. And I, I ran that up on the Gold Coast. So you can see with such low running costs and a high hourly rate, you know, you, 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 that left me with a good swag of profit at the end of every week. And by the way, at that point, our minds were, we would take that money and we'd put it into property. And that's where we'd get our, our, our scale um, and passive income from. So conversation for a different day, what do you do with the money you earn? But um, let, let's, keeping then that model in mind, um, why, so that leads me now to the question for people watching this. What size business do you need? What revenue or personal income do you need? Because that dictates a massive influence on the sort of work you need to undertake to achieve that. So if it is you're after something similar to Perry, which is 350 an hour, say three and a half days a week, where it, what's that, 700 for every, every two hours, there's uh, eight, to, what, eight, say 20, 30 hours a week, let's say, worth of work, um, 15 twos, you're at what, 300 
whatever it is. There's a there's a pile of cash in there. I can't remember. Can't do the numbers. That's not like you. Well, fast, like you're not doing yeah, you haven't drank enough coffee this morning. <laughs> you, you, you've got the math brain, the math whiz brain. I'm just not working. <laughs> Key <All> principle. Right. <laughs> um, so on that basis, then there's a lot of money coming in for an individual to survive. But if your goals are loftier than that, if your goals are, I'm looking for more than a million dollars a year in income, then a one-on-one -on -one relationship at a $350 per rate is not going to cut it. Um, uh, could you charge 500? Well, not if the market doesn't tolerate it. If the market does tolerate it, great. What, what are the niche clients that you need to attend and what niche business can you undertake such that it warrants that sort of revenue per hourly rate of your time and how skilled do you need to be and what KPI, key person of influence branding, do you need to generate in order to have the reputation that justifies that sort of revenue? But by the way, Brendan, uh, I've got a little formula for that. So what you're looking for is you're looking for high need, high value niches. If, if you are going to go down that pathway, high value, high need niches. And I'll just give you a quick example of this. And it's not a nice example, but you'll um, if you've got a, a, a cold, Brendan, do you go to a specialist or just to the local doctor? No, you just go to the local doctor. Or if not the doctor, you just go to a pharmacist and pick up some drugs. Right, okay. Now, if you've got the worst case of cancer, who do you go to? Not the pharmacist. No, who do you go to? You go to someone who is an absolute specialist because it's a life-threatening illness. High need, high value. See, high need, high value niche. Yep. So as an example, I have a client who... Um, uh, th th this is just a, a good example of this, uh, uh, was a naturopath. And as a naturopath, they were just seeing everyone. Uh, this particular person had a specialty in, um, Jesus, I forget the name of it, but it, what's it called when people get, helping people get pregnant, fertility, increasing yeah. fertility, right? You'll get this. So she went from charging like 80 bucks an hour to setting up and becoming a fertility specialist with with the proof that she was a specialist by the way and heaps of case studies and so to interrupt just for a second she had already established herself as a key person of influence kpi key person of influence in that field she was sought after for a knowledge of skills she had the reputation she built um the reputation the the the, the personality that who yeah the, co correct and she, she, she wasn't when she first came to us, but once we could see, same thing, business model wasn't going to get her what she wanted. And we we're still sticking with the service-based model. And, and, and I can probably flesh out a couple of core examples about good business models from this. But we realized that she couldn't, because if you're a naturopath and you're a generalist, it, it, it's uh, low need, low value. Okay? Just same like, thing. Just like generalists, just generalists, generally. And generally. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. Generally, um, generalists don't get paid a lot of money because they can do a, a lot of stuff reasonably well and they're called on to solve smaller problems because they're generalists. But only expert niche can warrant the justification for a high and hourly rate. Correct. If you want to elevate your life rapidly, niche in something, be an expert in something, be known to be an expert in something, and then the demand for you increases. If, if, it, if it's in a high need, high value marketplace, and you'll really get this because what a, what's, a, what a, what's a couple get like when they can't have a baby? They, they get desperate. frustrated. They, they'll spend anything, you see? So that's high value, high need, okay? Establish yourself as an expert. And this comes back to something else earlier that you said, like establishing low, uh, how do you deal with low, um, uh, you know, 
low barriers to entering the marketplace. So oftentimes if we go back and I'll keep using this as an example, you know, if we, we went back 40 years, the cost of getting into business was extreme, just any business. Now, um, many of us can just run our businesses from this thing here that I'm talking into as, as an example. So because the cost of setting up business, setting up website, I remember, I remember years ago, I'd have someone come in and record a one day event I'd run, cost me two and a half grand. Nowadays I can do that on, on a, 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 an iPhone for nothing, right? I can set up a free website in, in, in uh, with a day's work. Uh, so uh, coming back to restricting, uh, you know, entry to market, what Brendan was talking about before is you don't want to come into a marketplace where everyone can get into easily um, because suddenly, because it's so easy to get into, you're going to have millions of competitors. But one way of dealing with that is through the niching into high value, um, high needs niches, because then when you position yourself as an expert, then you tend to be the person that, that you're, your, that the clients go to, uh, not someone that's not positioning themselves effectively into a niche. Now, if you take that thought a little bit further, then there are two forms of expert. The expert that, that needs to be, that generates the one-on-one -on -one relationship with a client or the expert that is able to impart wisdom, knowledge and can do a one-to-many service relationship. One-on-one uh, -on -one has its limitations. Un unless you can get the tens of thousands per hour, you can only s charge a certain rate that the market will demand and that restricts, based on time alone, the revenue you can generate. Um, that said, if you turn this conversation around and a one-on-many relationship can be established, then you are significantly less restricted in the revenue you can create in a service industry. Right. Correct. Yeah. So, so in this example, this particular uh, person went from trading time as an expert one-to-one -to, -one to developing programs, developing products, uh, even packaging uh, herbal and hormonal products to help her clients. So she went from the one-on-one -on -one model to a scalable product model, whether that was education delivered, uh, what we call standalone or uh, uh, group trainings, one to the many, or developing uh, uh, products to help people develop the, to get the, their hormones right. So you can see now you start to move into a model that gives you some of those other great attributes with which we consider passive income as an example, or scalable income. So she, she produced an e-book, uh, ultimate scale at $10 per book, she can have a million people come to her website and download it while she sleeps. She could have 2 million people. So there's unlimited scale in, in that. But this sole business model is predicated on her being an expert. The sole uh, success rate is on her being able to find the niche, high need, high want. What did you call it, Perry? A high need? Yeah, yeah. High value, high need. Right. High value, high need niche. Yes. And, and be an expert in that particular field such that anything you did then was sought after by that particular niche. And you then yeah. offer it a lower dollar rate and a scalable business model. But it starts out being the expert. So if you're looking to take on a business model that, that is low cost because it's solely, you know, it's predicated on you um, and you don't need a significant team around you to do this, then as a 
not quite, or as it'd start out as an exchange of time for money as you built your skill and built your reputation. But there, you, the business model would evolve over a period of years and you need to take on that this is, this is not going to be a flash in the pan solution. This is, this is a dedicated life commitment that you make to a particular outcome, at least for a decade. Um, you can then be the expert with being that expert in that particular field, then you're, you're sought after and can leverage off you and the reputation you've built to create the money you want in a more product orientated, less exchange time for money approach. Brendan, I have, um, I'd like to talk to this. This is actually a really important part of this conversation about what we consider the best business model because there is case in point, and, and, and you're, just, you're sort of alluding to the commitment. If, if you are going to, to position yourself as an expert, there is a definite downside to that. I'm going to tell you right now, there is a definite downside to that. Um, versus uh, a, a business that has no personality up front and it just sells a, a widget, as an example, right? That, that in itself, running that type of business has many benefits because if you are positioning a, as an authority figure, then that means that, you know, you always have to be in the public eye, mindful of public eye, you are presenting, you have to be on all the time. You are the central focus for your business. Now, so personally, I'm going to just talk about me for a moment, but not about me as an example for everybody else, because this comes back down to personality profiling and there's some great tools because your business model for the most part should be also based on your personality style. So um, Roger, Roger Hamilton does a, a a, a great profile called, I think it's called Wealth Dynamics. And so anyone listening, just look him up, Roger Hamilton, wealth, wealth Profiling or Wealth Dynamics Profiling. And in it, once you do his profiling system, you see what type of person you are and it fits into categories. And basically it will explain what business model you should run. And I'm going to tell you, this stuff makes real, real sense. So as an example, People like you and I, Brendan, we, we are people people. How easy is it for you to build relationship with people, all sorts of people? <laughs> yeah, generally easy. Easy, same here, okay. So when we do uh, Roger Hamilton's profiling system, we'll find out, I know that, that that's what I am, uh, I, I fall into what they call the star profile and the creator profile. And as a star profile, and it's really interesting because in the questions, where have you made the most money? And I could really see that for everything that I've ever been involved with, I always make the most money when I'm in star profile, honoring that. And so a, a, a key asset that we have is people enjoy being around us. Um, we have things to teach. Um, we're good communicators. We have fun. Um, and so people with a star profile tend to become faces of business. Okay. There's another profile, which is the Lord profile. Now, the Lord profile, by the way, in, in our uh, uh, personality profiling system would be a combination of stabilizer and um, uh, the evaluator. Okay. Yeah. Now, they're the type of people that will typically build business uh, not based on personality or personal branding. 
they're the tinkerers. They'll move into the Lord profile and they'll tend to build business models separate from their personality. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm, what I'm hearing then is, and I'm, I think you're going somewhere. So I'll let you go there first and then, then, then I'll add. Okay. So I, I don't think you can take into account what business models you run without understanding your personality and what its core assets are. Um, and once you've worked that out, then you've got to work out how, how and, the, and the, we've actually shared some of these basic principles. So if you are the front of a business, if you are an expert um, and you are the face of business, how do you set that up so you don't get caught in the time for money trap, which we've alluded to? Okay, so you, you mentioned something that was really powerful that I thought around the whole key performance or key person of influence model. Yep. And that was risk. You're saying it doesn't come with a downside. And I agree. No, it does, it does come with a downside. Sorry, does come with that apology. That it comes with a downside. And it's a massive downside. The massive downside is it is all dependent on you. The business model is only as good as your last comment. The business model is only good as your last mistake. Um, it, every, every day that you're in, if you're not on your game, um, there's a vulnerable moment that you could do something, say something in a moment of weakness, and then the reputation could be shot. And so does the business model then get shot. There's also issues then with health. The key, the, 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 the weakest link in the chain, as much as the strongest link in the chain, is you. If, if there's a health issue for you and suddenly you wiped out, car accident, uh, whatever occurs, your whole business dies with you. Um, you are the strength and the weakness in the business. You are the source of, of continuity and vulnerability all at the same time. So um, in that model, it is not necessarily as much as it, it, it works for the star, it works for the trailblazer, it works for the motivator, as much as that's great and it marries up with the personality, it's not without risk. Um, Definitely. So if you're looking at the most amount of money, great, we can work out the most amount of money. We've got scalability by way of education and a one-on-many model. The least amount of effort, well, there is a bit of effort up front and as you build your reputation, there's, there's effort in it, but money starts to come easy in the back half of your decade that you're spending on this to build yourself. As so it's a, a high upfront energy requirement for a medium to moderate return, uh, but it gets better as you as you are more famous, as you are more well known. Um, most amount of money, least amount of effort, lowest amount of risk. There is some massive risk, and you need to be careful of that. Um, and shortest amount of time, not necessarily shortest amount of time, unless you've already built some expertise and you can go out on your own immediately with that branding. Um, but if you're starting out with something, then you need to build that branding over a period of time. You can do a reasonable effort within a year. You can do a great effort within two years and you could be an expert within three. So um, th that sort of model works. But again, be, don't go into it without being mindful of the risks. Right, let's, let's shift the conversation now to a product-based conversation. Because yep. we've talked service for a bit. Let's talk about product is what sort of product might be the better product business if you're that way. Now you're talking about Lord personalities um, would be better in business rather than star or motivated personalities. I agree. And there's, but, but, but by the way, I also, I also want to say something to that. Yeah, go. It, 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 uh, as an example, I like to not be a front person of a business. I've got to tell you that right now. However, because it, it's not just about 
what suits you best is actually what makes the most money. So it, as an example, as a star profile, star profile people, and this is what's really interesting about Roger Hamilton's profiling system, you really see it because it is your strength. It's actually a selling asset. So as an example, let's just say Tony Robbins. He's a worldwide brand. The reason he's up front is because he sells more. I hope that makes sense. If he wasn't up front, so it's actually got nothing to do with uh, you know, what suits your personality style. It's actually got to do with where the most money comes from. So someone with a star profile is best being up front in the business, not behind it. Yeah, I agree. He needs to be up front because he is the face of the authority. He is the face of the model that works. If it's Anthony Robbins, there's immediate credibility to the content that he presents or sells. So that goes back to the, the one on many leverage approach, but shifting now to the model of um, uh, product, what is an ideal product? What sort of product are we after? And there are I two reckon. on the extremes. One is the niche product and the other is the mass market product. The mass market that requires volume with nominal margins and a lot of manufacturing, the niche product, which is specific and skilled um, and serves a big enough market, but it's probably possibly more expensive, or, or do we go information only? And the technology where it's, it's uh, not a product that needs to be manufactured at all, but something could be transported immediately over the internet as a downloadable product or something like that. What, what product becomes one of the best and most efficient products to be considering in today's market? Well, I reckon, like, I, so in, in thinking, and this is just, Again, we're just being conceptual here until we model out the finances and everything we don't know. But conceptually, you can see things like, um, first of all, a product or service that, that takes nothing to be delivered, right? So ideal, a product or service that you produce once and be can de delivered many times over, right? That comes, that comes back to your formula. Like, yes, correct. Before. Yeah. Right. All right, so here's a thought, just a thought, point of clarity. You said a product, a service that can be provided over and over again. Once you've provided it once, the service is over, then it's a product, correct? Yeah, sorry. A product, a product that can be, can, can be you, you spend time making it, and then it yeah. gets delivered again and again and again for no extra work on your behalf, and that product gets delivered with no human um, requirement. I mean, that's, that, that's a perfect product. Right. And I can give you one, software. Someone develops software. Once that software is developed, it gets sold. It gets sold again. It gets sold again. It gets sold again. It gets sold again. If we want to put another element to the equation, subscription. So a product that needs to be bought constantly and continually. So something that is consumable, as an example. So, um, <laughs> or, or so something that's licensed. So what you're suggesting then as an idea is, is, is a cigarette in the techn technology world, something that people become dependent upon that must have, that is, is they suffer withdrawal symptoms from if they don't have it. C correct. But it doesn't have any, any uh, damaging effects per se or no health issues that, per se. Okay. But what it does do is, is a constant demand product and an ever-increasing demand of product. C correct. Because then what happens is you've built this thing once that uh, doesn't take it, you don't have to build it again, so it sits there, I'll just use it as an example, just sits there, 
and then um, people purchase it and it's at scale. So you can have a million people purchase it. So there's no block on scale. Um, and then they've got to purchase it again. I'm actually just thinking about two models that, that sort of come to mind as you talk about that. And uh, in our business, we run, we use software that we have to pay a license for every month. And that's just a brilliant model because once I first purchased that software and then I fell in love with that software because what it could do with us, then I'm willing to keep paying every two months. Now, they're not, they're not, they, they do tweaks to that software. They're not sitting back being lazy, but basically they've got this passive locked in income uh, that just keeps coming in when they're asleep for work they did years ago. But the beauty, but the beauty, if you can store your stuff on there, so if you use it as a form of storage, such that everything that you do is on there and it's integrated within that program, you are forced to do nothing but pay whatever there is every month because <laughs> it's dependency of your business upon that product. C correct. And then the, you've, you've triggered me with another thing, storage, storage unit. Okay, so um, uh, people, people that know, my wife and I, we've been traveling lots, as, as you know, Brendan, um, and we've been quite nomadic. And we, we, we have this storage unit up in northern New South Wales that's got all our gear in it. Um, uh, and they, I forget what we're paying, but it's like significant. It's 100 bucks a, a month or something like that. So you think about that. Now, that's, there's huge capital outlay for that. But once those storage sheds are, are, are built, especially if they're built in the right area, then, you know, we've been paying them for two years. By the time we shift our stuff out of there, we'll probably say pay for four or five years of storage. So they're getting this income, regular income, without any extra effort and work weekly. What an ideal model versus, you know, someone that's always chasing a client to get the next amount of money. That's a horrible model. So, okay, so I'm going to compare your storage model of, of physical storage and your, in, your uh, technology-based model. I think the technology one wins hands down. Why? Because the technology one doesn't require the infrastructure or the massive expense up front. It does Great. require your time. It does require your skill and ability to be able to create something that somebody wants and will continue to want. So and market it. Yep. And market it. The idea generation around that is fairly significant and the investment of time is fairly significant up front. So don't underestimate that in creating that as a business model. So if you're employed right now, continue to be employed while you're doing that in the background, such that when you're ready to launch, you're okay, then you've got a business. So there's a, a massive time and skill development and expertise that you need to put in place but prior to launch. So be, be mindful of that as a business model. But once launched, uh, then it's a matter of you are a marketing machine, a sales machine in order to get people engaged in that particular product. And then with the, the um, software cigarette type approach where uh, there is a growing dependency and, and a reliability or a dependency of individuals as well as the broader market to continue to use and to come on board with, um, then you have a model for generating revenue that is um, very little time on your part other than the initial setup phase, very little risk other than a duplication. So you need to monitor changes and, and increase and improve software so that you are competitive and number one or, or at least a, a hold market share. Um, so time, effort is upfront. Risk is 
the threat to other other competitors or if you've got a, a if you've got the ip and and ip so storage units versus ip ip is secure storage units are not they're easily duplicatable there is no ip associated with it uh, but if you've got ip it can't be duplicated very easily or very readily and particularly if it's concealed in the background behind a screen of this is the service or the performance that you do so there's some value in being able to do that so most amount of money lowest amount of risk less amount of effort shortest period of time so um, the the speed with which you're able to create then a model on that is the speed with which you're able to market and sell it. So well, that, you... uh, yeah, that's the why the knowledge economy, uh, what they call the knowledge or information economy, is is amazing because it it fits into with what you've just said. There, there's um, it, it's IP, so it's IP based. Uh, once it's produced, it, it just can be sold again and again and again and again, and it doesn't cost a lot to produce. <sighs> Which, so leads low, back, low outlay, yeah. which leads back to the idea then of the, uh, the key person of influence, expert, build up the brand, build you up, build it. Actually, it allows you to build you over a period of time while you're making some money to survive, to be that expert, create the multiple knowledge-based products that you can put out there based on reputation. The biggest risk, of course, in that model is you can't stuff up ever. You are only as good as your last mistake. Well, IP knowledge too, like you can, you can look at it from a different perspective. It doesn't have to be just expert-based. So as an example, um, CRM systems or uh, uh, software systems that arrange knowledge make things easy for you to access. Again, there's software development. Uh, and by the way, if you, if with, through software development, you're able to use offshore contractors. I know people that have developed software that have made them a lot of money using offshore contractors, so it costs them nothing much to develop. Um, that's that that's utilizing what we could consider the knowledge economy now that's completely different to spending millions of dollars on uh storage sheds and and, and land to run those storage sheds as an example because there you've got that huge capital outlay so how okay we've talked about businesses that um are scalable but uh, and again, the, the most recent model that we've referred to is the one where you create something that people grow a dependency on, such as the one that you're talking about for your business where you pay a monthly basis a subscription for. That would be scalable up into the millions, no question. So what other models can get massive amounts of revenue on low number of heads by way of staff? Oh, so what are the products? So, so what are the sort of products that you and I could speak to here that, that might help people to go, you know what, that's what I want to do. That's my calling. I want massive or I want small. I want uh, what sort of product am I for? Did you see where I'm coming from? What, what can we offer people now as we draw this conversation to a close as a something they can hold on to and say, I've got an insight now into what I want to do beyond I'm employed, beyond um, my first attempt or fourth attempt at a starting oh, business? Well, I, I think, first of all, it has to come back to and I'm just running off the top of my head here because yeah, that's a very deep question that I, I normally yeah, someone asking big. that question might spend 15 to 20 minutes sort of thinking about. But just off the top of my head, I, I, I think that the first place to go is always to go, well, what are you really passionate about? What, what's your purpose? And even if you're not the person up the front of a business where you're not building an authority model, um, it, it's important to ask that question because whatever you produce, you're going to be looking for an edge or a breakthrough, which is what you want to deliver to the client. Correct, Brendan? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so if you're passionate 
um, that means that you'll probably be the type of person, if you're passionate about a subject, you're going to go into deep immersion in that subject. So you'll tend to become an expert. You'll start to see the edge. You'll start to see the gaps in the marketplace. Um, and that, that passion will also keep you there for the long term. And I don't think anyone that opens up a successful business isn't passionate about what they're producing, even if they're sitting at the back of the business, driving it. Uh, so as an example, someone, someone listening may have had uh, a, a, someone in their family um, uh, write a disease through a certain nutritional product or, or a certain set of herbs, as an example. Um, and, and you might be really passionate about bringing that to, to others. That would be a good place to start. If you have that passion, then you're going to flesh out. You're going to want to make that the best product possible. You're, you're, you're going to be passionate about it. You're, you're not going to have low standards. You're going to have high standards. Okay. So if we, if we go back to where we started this conversation today, I think there are some things that we've ideas we've explored to help you perhaps identify, or at least challenge your thinking in being able to identify what it is that you may want to take on as the ideal business for you. So, let me go back and recap some of the key points that we've, we've spoken about so that you can walk away with something solid that requires your contemplation that's designed to help you make a better business establishment idea come, come to life. Um, first thing, and, and one of the bigger things that was not in the introduction but came out in this conversation, how much is enough for you? Begin with the end in mind. Know what it is that you want as the amount of revenue or income or cost of lifestyle that you want to live as a result of running your business. Is it that you want to leave a legacy behind? Is it you're looking for food on the table and a comfortable lifestyle? Is it that you want, you know, what is it? Are you looking to set your entire family up for generations? What, what is it that you want from this business? So how much is enough? Um, go into this with a, with a long game in mind. Don't go into this with a flash in the pan. If I make a couple of hundred here, great. And then I'll start something else. And I'll make a couple of hundred there. That, that, that has a tendency not to be as efficient as, as a slower start into a massive capacity based on what you've built in the first few years um, an ability to create far more revenue far more easily. So know that it will require more energy up front. There'll be low revenue up front and plan for that. Don't expect to walk into a business and go, I look to make my first million in a year. The odds are really low on that. Not that it's not possible. A lot of Gen Ys do, but um, that, that's not necessarily, I, I wouldn't encourage you necessarily to be thinking that that is a granted outcome. Um, and if that is the way you want to do, then more planning required. Um, but go into it knowing that, that there is an evolution in skill development from you that will allow you to be who you need to be in the business. That includes the evolution of the business. So then we model based on what it is that you want as, a, as an outcome for you. What is the, the lifestyle and what's the cost to have or cost you need to live that lifestyle. You then start to work on, well, how do I generate the most amount of money? What, what can I do that can generate the rest amount of money? In order to do that, we need to be satisfying the need, uh, the demand in a market. Um, smaller businesses can work very, very well on a niche model. If you're looking at a larger business, then you're going to need something a little more ma mass market that, that a lot more people will want that you can entice them to renew or subscribe to as a concept. But they need repeatable use of it. You want to get 
a requirement that people have a repeatable use. So you build in decay into your products such that they need to buy that updated version as a concept. Um, so something that's in demand, if you're looking for a, a smaller amount of revenue just to sustain lifestyle and build a business onto the future, um, great, um, then, then niche in demand is powerful. So how can I get the most amount of money? What, what gap, what expertise do I, do I need to have to bring to the a table to identify the gap that allow me to solve that problem and make a profit? You want to put the least amount of time into it ongoingly. So upfront, sure, it will require time to establish, but you want to create a system that doesn't maintain that demand on your time, but is, but is something that will release you from your time required and still bring in a gen and still generate a revenue for you. Something um, that is maybe some effort required up front, but a lower amount of effort towards the back end. Again, this is a long-term plan and, and consider scale. Um, so not only scales of economy, how can you grow the business, but a scale by way of effort up front, effort at the back end, time up front, time at the back end. And that way you can generate the, the life that you want to live the life you want towards the back end of this journey. If we target a 10 year minimum plan. And then where are the risk components? What is it that is, is the greatest risk uh, to the success of this, of this business and the ongoing success of the business and work on processes of, um, mitigating that risk. How do you mitigate that risk and who do you need to be in this model such that that risk gets mitigated? You want to create something that, cre uh, that can generate a barrier of entry to the competitors. So as you come up with a new idea, as you fill this need, if you're able to fill this need effectively and well, you want to limit your ability or limit the ability of other people to jump on the bandwagon and steal your market share or copy what you do. Um, not without an amount of time required on their part to duplicate or replicate what it is that you've done. So more energy upfront before launch might be in fact a better way for you to maintain and sustain um, the period of time in the embryonic phase before you start to generate a revenue of from lower effort, lower time. Um, do something that is not a continual exchange of time for money. Um, the, the more scalable you are able to make that, the more, the, the less, the less time required on your part to duplicate, the better. Um, if you're going to go for services, you may need to start one-on-one, -on -one, but if you're going to start one-on-one, -on -one, make sure you can replicate to a one-to-many at some point because one-on-one -on -one is unsustainable as you get older, your health deteriorates, uh, or something occurs in your life where you're making a change. One-on-one -on -one becomes a limiting component. Um, no scale. And, correct, no scale. No scale. Um, and from a product perspective, um, that product which requires the least amount of manufacture, the least amount of human intervention and human involvement in order to deliver, something technology-based, something education-based that can deliver it over the net where there is no delivery cost per se, um, something that can be depended upon, depended upon something that is is somebody wants or a group of people want and consistently want something you can continue to evolve and contribute to, but not on a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your client, that has some scalability too. One thing I do want to quickly share, back to what you said before about the, those businesses that make a million dollars in their first year. Um, when I've seen that happen, there's typically been two things present. The product is a total game changer, like what they call a disruptor, um, meaning it, it, it 
it just turns a marketplace on its head because of its advantages and they usually have a really good marketing team with them. And the second one is those businesses that ride uh, uh, ethos waves or cultural waves. Um, uh, and so these are actually good things to, to look for. I, I don't tend to work this way um, because I do what I do and that's based on my expertise. But uh, as an example, uh, a client of mine last year made a, a millions out of Amazon. And that was obvious. Amazon was coming to Australia. Um, the uh, marketplace that they were in, I don't want to mention it, was uh, not doing so well. And he could see that people were going to be thirsty for Amazon shop retail education, how to set up shops on um, Amazon. And he also knew that as the uh, marketplace tightened, the economy tightened, that more people that were in a normal jobs would go to supplement their income through Amazon. And so he made a killing from that. Now, that was riding a, a, a cultural ethos wave, happened to meaning that the ethos of the time was steering changes in the marketplace that he foresaw. Final thought from my part, it must resonate with you. Whatever business you take on must resonate with you. You must enjoy it because if you don't enjoy it, it's going to be hard and arduous and you're not going to follow through on it. So, so create something, find something that sings for you, allows you to have a spring in your step and a sense of pride around what you're taking on and what you're looking to accomplish because with that level of energy, everything gets easier to fulfil. Perry, thank you ever so much for joining us again today. Thank you. And until we met again, invest wisely.